I have figured out um, in my short, short life that life has a way of teaching us. Through its ups and downs, through the peaks and valleys, through everything in between, life just has this way of teaching us and refining us and shaping us, if we will let it, by the grace of Jesus. Now, this year, I've learned just in a very particular way that there are few greater gifts than the gift of presence. And I'm not talking about like the presence that you physically unwrap underneath the tree. I'm talking about like the gift of presence, like being present with someone. My dad this past year actually lost one of his best friends, um, really close family friend. And man, it's been really hard. Um, the, the moment that it happened was really hard. The week that it happened was really hard. But I think one of the hardest aspects of, of losing Mark was realizing all of the places that he wasn't gonna be present this year. Like when that first Thanksgiving rolled around a few weeks ago, realizing like, oh, he's not gonna be with us. As they anticipate the upcoming Christmas, like realizing, oh, he's not gonna be with us this year. And the thing that they long for more than anything is just his presence with them. Keila and I, we now have, we, we have three kids, and so date nights have become a very precious commodity. That's like how I refer, they're a precious commodity. And, and they're few and far between, unfortunately, right now in this moment. And side note, pro tip, completely unrelated. If you want moments and time of silence, uninterrupted conversation, don't have kids, like, just don't do it. But we'll now, we'll get into the car for a date night, and it's like, listen, I, I don't even really care where we're going. Like, I don't care what we're doing, as long as I'm with you, as long as we together are in this car going to dinner, like the thing that I long for more than anything is just, just to be with you, just to be in your presence. I'm like, I don't care. We can go eat at the fine establishment of Fazoli's for, for dinner, like as long as I'm with you. When you're a kid, I've been thinking about this, like Christmas coming up with our kids. Like it's, it's really hard as a kid to just not think about the gifts you're gonna receive. Like that's all that's on your mind. But the older you get, you, you realize, hey, the actual gift, uh, nothing wrong with giving gifts, but the actual gift is, is the people that you're with, the people you're present with. Now, the reality is each year that goes passing by keeps teaching me on a deeper level that there is no greater gift than the gift of presence. To be with people you love, to be with people that love you. And now in a hyper-connected world, we live in a world that is actually more connected now than, than we've ever been. And I say that, more connected now than we've ever been. The thing that we long for, the thing that I think each of us feels is a longing for an actual connection. We long to be in just that loving presence with people. And you can see this ache in our world. You probably feel this ache yourself. This, this longing, this desire to be in the presence of people who love you. Now, why is this the ache? Why is this the ache of every human heart? And I would argue it is. This longing and this deep desire for relationship, it is hardwired, hardwired in the heart of every human soul hardwired in the heart of every human being. And this isn't by mistake, like this isn't a fluke. This is by design. 
This is by design, and the journey we all find ourselves on is figuring out that this ache can only be fulfilled by the one who put it there, God himself. And oh, do we go looking in so many different places to fulfill this human ache in our heart. But the beautiful design of God, it doesn't end there with this desire. Like that would, that would be unfulfilling. He longs to fulfill the deep desire within us for his presence because it's at the very heart of who our God is. Someone who longs to be with those he loves. A father whose desire is to dwell among his people, to be present with the one that he created and loved so dearly. And I've been reminded this Advent season that at the very heart of the Christmas story and that what we're gonna be looking at this morning is a God who longs to be with us, a God who longs to dwell with us, a father's heart that simply wants to be with you, both now and for forever. Now this Advent season, we've been looking at how we wait well, how we live well, how we can live wholehearted lives in this messy in between. And we've been asking the question, okay, how do we thrive as followers of Jesus in between the, the first advent of Jesus and the coming second advent of Jesus? How do we wait well? Brandon, a couple of weeks ago, talked about how, how we can have hope, how we can have joy, even in the midst of the waiting, even in the midst of the hardship, even in the midst of the pain. Dave reminded us last week the importance of our posture towards the Christmas story, how a life of awe and how a life of worship helps us to remain faithful in the in-between. And this morning, my heart and my prayer is that each one of us would truly embrace, like truly embrace, and enjoy the implications of the Christmas story. That we have a God who loves us so much longs to be with us so passionately that he would come and that he would be a God that truly dwells with his people. And it is a God who dwells. It's a God who dwells with us, that allows us to wait well, to, to live wholehearted lives in this messy in-between. So what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna look at kind of three movements of a God who dwells. A God who dwells with us, a God who dwells in us, and a God who dwells face to face. So if you're taking notes, a God who dwells with us, a God who dwells in us, and a God who dwells face to face. Because as I said before, this ache for his presence is nothing new. God has dwelled and longs to dwell with his creation from the beginning of time. You see, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the story, literally the genesis of the story, you see a God who literally walked in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. God's desire to dwell with his people it is the, the story, the arc of the biblical narrative. Yahweh in the Old Testament explains this explicitly to his people. He says, I long to dwell among my people. From, from the tabernacle to the temple, from, from the burning bush moment to the pillar of fire, God's heart is to be with and to dwell with his people. This hasn't changed and this won't change. This is his heart and this is the story of Christmas. We're gonna dig deeper into the heart this morning of a God who dwells. So I invite you to open up your Bibles. Matthew chapter one is where we're gonna begin. 
Matthew chapter one. We're gonna look at 18 through 23 of Matthew chapter one. Let's read this together. Let's look at a God who dwells with. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is about as beautiful and mysterious and captivating as it gets. There's so much happening here that we're not gonna be able to unpack fully. But like Dave said last week, we've heard this story so many times. You probably just, even in this moment, just kind of like, okay, yeah, I get it. I kind of understand the Christmas story. It kind of loses its potency and implications of what actually happened. And I want us to think about this for a moment. And the way I want us to do that is think about the backdrop of the story. Think about the backdrop of what is actually happening. You have the divine, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, together in perfect unity in the heavens. Together in perfect harmony in the heavens. They're in this place of perfect love. They're in this place, Jesus himself, of being honored and worshiped and adored. Perfect relationship happening in the heavens among God himself in a way that we can't fathom or, or imagine this side of eternity. And that's what's happening. And in this moment, the Son of God, Jesus himself, decides to leave all of that to come live among humanity. But he doesn't just show up at 30 years old, like ready to start his ministry. No, he's conceived through the Holy Spirit. He comes, he comes into this world through the act of childbirth as a vulnerable baby. He comes into this world just like the very ones that he's come to rescue. And I love the way that the Gospel of John describes this moment probably one of my favorite verses in the entirety of scripture. I love the way he describes this, this mysterious truth. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We can't dig into all of the beauty, I wish we could, of what John is saying here. But the word is talking about Jesus and the manner in which he entered the world, fully God, fully human, living among the very people that he created. Jesus himself in this moment moves into the neighborhood. Like, could you imagine Jesus growing up and living and moving into your neighborhood? You better believe if Jesus was like living like two houses down from me, like I would be name dropping him all the time. It's like, yeah, don't you know, 
I was out for a walk the other day and Jesus was mowing his grass, you know, the Messiah, the Savior, the King of the world. I, 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 would, I would be thinking about that reality all the time. I would be living in that reality all the time. And I'm thinking, okay, why would he come like this? Why would God choose to put on flesh and experience life as we experience it? This does not seem like the path that God should or would choose. Like if I'm God, this is not the path that I'm choosing. This is not the path that that I would think a king would take. King of the world. But in a kingdom that is not of this world, in a kingdom that is not like this world, you have a God and a king who comes in subversely unexpected ways. And here we begin to see the very heart of the Christmas story. A God who is motivated by love that longs to dwell with his beloved sons and daughters, a God who longs to dwell with you. And it's a God like this, it's a God like this that can actually set the captives free. It's a God like this that that can release the yoke of oppression that we often experience. It's a Messiah, it's a king that, that isn't far off that isn't removed, that is not unable to understand our human experiences from the palace, but one that is closely acquainted with grief. One that that understands pain, understands loss that comes this side of eternity. So from the way that he came into this world through the pain of childbirth to the moment that he took his final breath on the cross, He understands pain. He understands heartache. He understands your pain. He understands your heartache. There's nothing that you have gone through and there's nothing that you will go through that Jesus is not closely acquainted with. God with us is is this moment where he literally moves into the neighborhood and the human heart goes, ah, like this is what I've been longing for. And some people got it in this moment. Some people got it in this moment. Ah, this this is the thing that my heart has been aching for. We now have access to the presence of God. But it doesn't just end here. God was actually just getting started on this story. This, This would have actually been enough, a God who would dwell with us, you know, moving into the neighborhood, But his heart and his desire is not to simply move into the neighborhood. His desire is to move all the way into the home. His desire and heart is to have relationship with each and every one of the ones he created. Turn with me to John 14. John 14, we're gonna look at verses 15 through 23. As we begin to uncover this reality of a God who not only dwells with us, but a God who dwells in us. John 14, starting in verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, Poor guy, like every time he's mentioned in the Bible, it's like, hey, we have to define who we're actually talking about. It says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied with this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them, listen to this, and we will make our home with them. Or this can be translated, we will make our dwelling place with them. Amen. So we're talking about a God who not only dwells with us, not only a God who moves into the neighborhood, but a God who actually dwells in us. Like this mysterious, unfathomable, beautiful reality of those who are in Jesus continues. He's given us this ability to thrive. He's given us this ability to live wholehearted lives in between the two advents as we anticipate his second coming. Now think about this with me for a moment. Just like the divine coming into the world as a baby, think about this for a moment. The divine creator God setting up his home in you. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, you are his dwelling place. Like the living God lives in you. For those of you who aren't followers of Jesus, this is what's on the table. This is what's on the table. Union with God, the very one who made you, the very one who loves you. God isn't just moving into the neighborhood. He's making his home in the hearts of humanity. Now, this is what scripture, this is what the story just continues to reiterate as well. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now, I've read this a number of different times. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. You could just meditate on that for the rest of eternity and not fully grasp all of the implications. But I love the way one author puts it. Scripture reveals that, yes, we are joined with Christ And when that happens, we are no longer two spirits, but one, one spirit with God. The idea is simply fantastic, bordering on almost preposterous. It is almost too good to be true. When I surrender to Christ, the two of us become one. Or two verses later in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, it says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? This is a truly miraculous, incredible, perplexing reality. We we, we can't even begin to scratch the surface of all the ways that this brings about life within our hearts. And I I love this reflection on a God who actually dwells in us. And I quote, it says, the highest heavens can't contain God. But somehow he's ordained the human soul to become his habitation. That means that our soul is broader in its ability to contain God than the entire universe. 
Truly, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're capable of being filled with all the fullness of God. Jesus, in in the Christmas story, he, he doesn't just usher in this promise of a God who would dwell with us, but he goes on to promise and become a God who would dwell in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He moves from the neighborhood to to an inhabitant, from neighborhood to home. And it's this truth, it's this truth that answers the ache of every human heart. And if I'm being honest, there's a lot of mysterious supernatural reality here. And there are so many ways that we could go about unpacking this reality of oneness with God, God in us. But the thing that I was drawn to this week is one of my favorite pictures of this truth and this reality that we have. It's John 15, and Jesus in John 15 gives us this amazing picture of what a life like this looks like. He gives us an amazing picture of how to cultivate a heart that is fertile ground for this kind of life with God to grow. John 15 is where Jesus kind of gives us this picture of what embracing the reality of the Christmas story actually looked like. A life marked by a God dwelling with us and in us. Let's turn to John 15. Let's read verses one through five. Listen to this. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, but it must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. For the sake of time, we'll we'll stop there. Jesus, he gives this beautiful picture of what life with him is like. A life with God in us, a life with God with us. It's this picture of vine and branches. And when you think about like vines and branches, when you think about going to an actual vineyard, I don't know if you've actually been to one, but but it's a real live thing. It's a growing, growing thing. And if you don't tend to a vineyard, if there isn't this watering, if there isn't this pruning, if there isn't this nurturing, the branches, what happens is they eventually fall off and die. In the same way, like in our lives with God, we, we can live into this truth that it's a, a real living, breathing relationship. We can, we can water that, we can nurture it, we can live into it, or we can grow apathetic and cold in such a way that our hearts to Jesus eventually fall off and die. But my friends, the invitation of John 15 The invitation of the Christmas story has been the longing and the prayer of my heart that the spirit of God in us would spark a yearning and a longing for this kind of intimacy, for this kind of relationship with our creator. That we would actually answer the call of our aching hearts with the one who can can answer it. Our very own Jen Barnett in her book, First Freedom, says says this about a life of abiding. She says, 
We may visit that dwelling place from time to time, especially in a crisis, but we struggle to remain there. Remaining in a place of abiding is where we were meant to find life-giving connection and be filled from the source of all grace and power from the Trinity. If we believe Jesus when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing, we will never stray from the vine. Growing in relationship and understanding the tremendous gift of abiding is essential to our fruitfulness. Our dependence on remaining determines our connection and consequently our joy as sons and daughters. Now here's the question that I'm, I'm asking myself and I've been asking myself this question all week. Here's the question that I wanna ask you as my family. Does your life have the space and does your heart have the posture to truly embrace this gift of God? A God with us and a God in us. Does your life truly have the space to abide in him, to get to that place of, of union and oneness with him? Very practically, does your life have the space to actually receive the gift of God's presence? Is your heart open? Is your heart yearning? Is your heart longing for the Spirit of God to meet you and speak to you and lead you in a way that only he can? If so, if that's where you find yourself, hallelujah, praise the Lord. If not, let's us as a family recalibrate our hearts back to him. But I love the story of God. It just keeps getting better. We've looked at a God who dwells with us. We've looked at a God who dwells in us. I wanna turn our attention to a God who will one day dwell face to face. This reality that one day God's people will no longer experience his presence in part, but his presence in fullness. He's not just in the neighborhood. He's not just in our home. One day, one day we will dine face to face with Jesus at the kitchen table. And the ache of the human heart will no longer be aching, but it will be fulfilled at last. The longing of God to be with his sons, to be with his daughters, it doesn't end with, with his dwelling in us, but his dwelling in us is actually the spirit in us that points us to this future dwelling, far better than anything we could fathom or imagine. I love the way that Paul says it in Ephesians chapter one, verse 14. He says, when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, say God in us, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Or later on in 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse five, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. What is our inheritance? Like what is to come? Revelation chapter 21, it gives us this amazing glimpse of what will come with the return of Jesus, the second advent of Christ. Turn with me there, Revelation 21, as we begin to land the plane this morning. Revelation 21, starting in verse one. Then a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. From from the neighborhood to the home to the table where, where we will be face to face with Jesus and he will be the one, he will be the one that literally wipes away the tears from our eyes. God's dwelling place now among his people. God dwelling with his people forever, his beloved sons, his beloved daughters. No more death, no more pain, no more crying, a time when abiding in him is no longer a struggle, it's no longer a taste, but where abiding and union with God is simply the way things are. Like this is our home. Like this is our future. This is our promise. And it's this future hope of dwelling with God forever when he has made all things new that allows us to wait, that allows us to live wholehearted lives of devotion in the messy in between. It's embracing the full implications of the Christmas story. A God who dwells with us, a God who dwells in us, and a God who one day will dwell face to face with us forever. This this is the only thing that will truly answer the ache of every human heart. And this morning, I I wanna live into this, this reality. As we literally come to the table, as we as we commune with Jesus Himself, I want us to live into this reality. I want us to think about the fact that every time we we gather is his body, his presence is here and with us. That every time we walk to the table and we grab that bread, which represents his body, as we drink that juice, which represents his blood, we are saying, this is what our heart aches for. You, Jesus. And as we head to the communion tables, I actually want us to wrestle with a couple of very practical questions. Because all of this can stay up here and not affect the way that we live our week. And the last thing I want us to do is think about this reality and not actually live this reality as a church family this week. So the first thing I wanna just invite you to wrestle with over communion is where is Jesus inviting you to abide in him, to remain in him, to plug into the vine of life this Advent season? And the second thing I wanna invite you to do is just spend some time meditating on Revelation 21, one through five. Meditate on that face-to-face dwelling moment that is coming. I wanna pray for us and then I want us to head to the table. So let's pray. God, there is, there is no way that I can actually convey the mysterious, profound truth of what the Christmas story means. And I ask that by the power of your spirit, you would do something within my heart and every heart in this room that 
that turns and, and makes our hearts long for you more than we've ever longed for you. That we would find ourselves hungering and thirsting just to be in your presence. In moments of worship, moments in our car driving to work, moments when we wake up in the morning, that, that moment before our head hits the pillow at night, may we realize the reality of a God with us, in us, awaiting our forever dwelling with him. And Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Together as a whole church we say, amen. Let's head to the table together this morning as we embrace the gift of the Christmas story.